Between Greece and Turkey is a body of water known as the Aegean Sea. It's a particularly pristine expanse of turquoise waters that has few, if any equals, anywhere on Earth. As seen from above, or else on maps, it's sprinkled with hundreds of islands, most of which have been laid claim by the Greeks since ancient times. One chain of islands is the Cyclades, so named for its circular shape and formation. It was on one of these islands that, in the 1880s, archaeologists made a startling discovery. Upon excavating various burial sites scattered throughout the islands, they found figurines of various sizes crafted out of pure marble. Since then, these figures have become synonymous with this unique culture, but just what purpose did they serve? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and let's take a cruise to the Cyclades to learn more right now on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. The Greeks as we've known them throughout their history are an Indo-European people. The Indo-Europeans originated in the lands north of the Black and Caspian Seas in what's now Ukraine and southern Russia some 5,000 years ago or more. These peoples invaded Greece in three big waves sometime in the second millennium BC, eventually becoming the distinct Greek people and culture we know today. It's important to note, however, that prior to the Indo-Europeans' arrival, parts of Greece and several of the Greek islands had already long been inhabited. One such group of islands were the Cyclades. The earliest evidence of human habitation there dates back to around 13,000 BC, at the tail end of the Ice Age. This is attested to in the form of various tools and weapons, each of which were fashioned out of obsidian, a type of volcanic glass that abounds on the islands. These are the earliest vestiges of what's come to be known as Cyclotic culture. After this, though, a mysterious gap of some 8,000 years within the archaeological record elapses. It isn't until around 5,000 BC that things, as they say, start to get interesting, for it's around this date that the signature characteristic of Cyclotic culture emerges. By the late Neolithic, or New Stone Age, the hunter-gatherer societies of the Cyclades have given way to rudimentary farming and agricultural communities, perhaps having taken cues from their neighbors in Egypt and the Near East, with whom they might have had contact. These were based primarily on wheat and barley, as well as domesticated animals such as pigs, goats, and sheep. But there was just one problem. Unlike those other early settlements in Mesopotamia and Egypt, the Cyclotic peoples in the islands and parts of the Greek mainland didn't have the advantage of having a lush river valley at their disposal. For the most part, these lands were dry and arid and weren't conducive for crop cultivation. What they did have, however, was the sea. It completely surrounded them on all sides and would ultimately prove to be their lifeline and saving grace. Thus, it wasn't long before the Cyclotic people became master boat builders and navigators. They fished in the crystal-clear waters of the Aegean and beyond, incorporating tuna, sea bream, squid, octopus, and shellfish into their diet. This also enabled them to engage in early trade with nearby lands, providing them with necessary goods they otherwise wouldn't be able to obtain within their homeland. They charted the cycles of the sun, moon, and stars on rudimentary but sophisticated stone calendars, quote-unquote, known as frying pans, after their distinct shape. These show an early form of mother goddess worship, as each are complete with depictions of female genitalia, which archaeologists interpret as being tied to the rising and setting of the sun each day. But more impressive than the frying pan calendars are the series of figurines that have been unearthed in various grave sites throughout the Cyclades. These, too, are at this point all exclusively female, and are characterized by their flat, streamlined bodies. The smallest of these were handheld and buried alongside the dead. The largest is just under 6 feet, 1.5 meters tall. Between 5000 BC and 3200 BC, the Cyclotic peoples experimented several times with the form of these delicate objects. The first to appear depicted details like fingers and toes, 
as well as hair, and though the pigments have long since worn off, were brightly colored with tattoo-like markings on their face and body. Over time, these figures became far more abstracted, some of which have come to be known as violin figurines for their distinct shape, resembling the most specific of musical instruments. What's perhaps most puzzling of all is that several hundreds, if not thousands of them, were deliberately destroyed by the Cyclotic people themselves. Was this some sort of ritual, in which they were sacrificed, quote-unquote, to the mother goddess or some other deity? The sad truth is that we don't know for sure, and it's appearing increasingly more likely that we never will. Despite all this, the question remains, what purpose did these figures serve? As they were buried with the deceased, and as all that have been unearthed so far are female, it's believed that they were tied to worship of that self-same proposed mother goddess. Female worship amongst prehistoric and archaic cultures was nothing new in Europe by the time the Cyclotic culture came around. One need only look to such discoveries as the 25,000-year-old Venus of Willendorf figurine unearthed outside a town in Austria in the early 20th century to know that. The woman's ability to give birth, and therefore life, was perhaps seen as sacred to the Cyclotic people, and could attest to the portrayal of female genitalia on the aforementioned frying pan calendars. It's even been posited that they timed the passing of the days and seasons with a woman's menstrual cycle, though this remains inconclusive. For millennia, this fascinating culture dominated the Cyclades, leaving telltale signs of their society in the form of obsidian tools, clay pottery, bronze frying pan calendars, and of course those iconic marble figurines. They likely would have grown, too, into a thriving civilization had it not been for the rise of a new and major power player on the nearby island of Crete, the Minoans. With origins just as mysterious and uncertain as those of their Cyclotic neighbors, the Minoans built what's considered to be Europe's first civilization at the height of the Bronze Age in around 2000 BC. As their influence grew, the Cyclotic peoples were likely absorbed into the Minoans' realm, or else moved elsewhere. What happened to Cyclotic culture remains a mystery as a result, but it nonetheless retains its status as one of the first known societies in Europe, as well as the first within Helotic, that is, in and around the vicinity of present-day Greece, chronology. Today, Cyclotic figurines are known the world over for their elegant simplicity and unknown origins and purpose. They even influenced and inspired some of the greatest artists of the 20th century. Pablo Picasso, upon seeing some of them in a museum in Paris, referred to them as quote-unquote magic objects, and Amedeo Modigliani used their unique forms as the basis for many of his own sculptures. To say that fascination with Cyclotic culture continues to this day would be a gross understatement, made all the more tantalizing due to the clues they left behind. Will we ever know all the details of their unique society? Unfortunately, probably not. But what we do know continues to enthrall, and each new discovery will undoubtedly see to it that it continues to be studied for generations to come. Thanks for listening. This week's episode was a short one, admittedly, but that's only because there's still little that's known of cyclotic culture. Perhaps in time, more will be discovered, at which point I'd be overjoyed to provide you all with an update. If you like what you learned today and would like to support this podcast, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. Just go to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash history loves company and click the support button. From there, you'll be redirected to three monthly support plans that fit your budget. Listening and sharing also help me out, so please do so on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Join me again next week as we explore the life and times of one of antiquity's greatest kings, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you next time. Thank you.